Go with me to Genesis chapter 2 in your Bibles. That's where we're going to start and spend most of our time there this morning. Um, Have any of you ever seen the TV show Alone? Yes, two people. All right, that's kind of what I expected, and that's consistent with first service. That's okay. You don't need to know it. I'm going to tell you what happens in every season of Alone. They take 10 people, they put them in helicopters or boats, and they fly them all the way up into Canada, Alaska, where there are no humans, and they drop them off by themselves, not even together, like they spread them out, and then they say, okay, You're going to live in the woods by yourself for as long as you can. And whoever lasts longest wins half a million dollars, wins $500,000. So it's like you got to just survive. And you are, as the title says, you're alone. And you got to figure it out. And uh, every season goes about the same. It's a 10 people, so it takes like three episodes to introduce them. Episode four and five, people start going home. By episode six, they're around day like 45, and there's half the people are left. And episode six and seven is just those five people going insane. <laughs> They've not been around people for 45 days. They are just talking to trees or making sock puppets out of animal, it's, it's weird. They're writing songs that don't need to be written. <laughs> it is weird. Now, I want to say that if I was in that situation, I wouldn't get that weird. But first of all, I wouldn't survive that long. <laughs> like 45 minutes, and I'm like, can you come get me? Is there an Uber out here? Who brings the snacks? They, we joke, but the reason that it becomes so difficult for them is that you and I, humans, are not made to live alone. We are made to be together. We, We are designed by God to function with other people. Now, they choose to go on this show to try to outlast, to try to win a lot of money. And I don't know about you, but in my life, there are plenty of times where I just choose to be alone by myself, where I choose to isolate myself. I'm just naturally, I'm a very independent person. I want to do things my way, at my pace, get them done, go about my stuff, and just kind of focus uh, in my, my small group, we, we talk about how way too often I just have headphones in, sunglasses and a hat on, you can't see me, and I'm just in my own world. I'm an independent person. A joke in my house is, you know, from the time that I could reach the knobs on the washing machine and the dryer, I was washing my own clothes. Not because I knew how to do it any better than my mom, because I certainly didn't. 30 years later, I still don't know how to do the laundry. But I just, I wanted to do it myself. I wanted that independence. That's how I've just always been. I mean, maybe, you know, my brother, and he had a lot of dirty clothes and can't touch. I don't know. Maybe it was that. I don't know. But it just, that's what I, if if I come across a problem that I need to solve, I'm not calling somebody. I'm going to YouTube and, like, watching a video. And how can I figure this out? How can I fix this? How can I do this myself without asking other people? That's just how I am. And that's not a good thing. That's not how we're designed to be. Our culture 
in America is very similar. Maybe you are like me too in that way, right? It's the DIY, figure out how to do it all yourself kind of culture. There's a very simple test to see, are you like me or are you normal and healthy? And it, as every good test does, it starts in a grocery store, okay? There are two kinds of people in the grocery store, okay? You go, you've got your list, you've got to get what you've got to get. One kind of person goes in and they are doing laps up and down every aisle, going and going and doing laps around the store, laps around the store, because they can't find that last item. But God help me, I am not going to ask some kid in an apron where I can find flour at. If I can't find it myself, I'm getting in the car, driving home and saying, hey, Carrie, sorry, the store was all out of flour. I know, (laughs) crazy COVID, right? Supply chain issues and all that. Not going to happen. Some of you, you go in and it's like, I don't even, I'm not even going to bother looking. Hey, excuse me, sir, could you come just walk the aisles with me and tell me your life story and pick out everything I need? Kill me now. No way could I do that. That's why I have one store that I go to. If we need something, I'm going to Publix on Santa Barbara and Cape Parkway because I know where everything is. I know, she's not in here this service, I know that Aldi is cheaper, but Aldi moves things every other week. They don't have the same things every week. I'm not doing it, and I don't have a quarter to get the cart anyways. (laughs) At least they don't hire people to work in Aldi, so you can't ask anyways. You just got to find your stuff. It's it's kind of, it's a a suburban edition of a loan. Who can can survive and thrive within Aldi? (laughs) What? I don't know. Uh, This is how... Some of us, and probably most of us, live. Even if you're surrounded by people, you find ways to be alone. But this is not how we're created to be. In Genesis, in chapter 1, God creates everything, right? You probably have heard the story in the beginning. God created in day 1 and day 2, and at the end of each day, God finishes creation. He says, and it was good. And then the next day, and God creates more, and it was good. Through six days, day six, he creates animals, and then man, and at the end of day six, it was good. All of God's creation is good. He doesn't make junk. He makes good things. You are one of those things that he has created. There is a lot of great things inside of you because God created you. Genesis 2 starts to kind of retell that in a little bit of a different way. And by verse 18, we find out that there is actually one thing in God's creation that was not good. This is before sin, before the fall. Now you can find plenty of those things that are not good. But in Genesis 2, verse 18, it says this, that the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And if you're independent like me, that stings a little bit, right? That's, that's difficult to carry out. He says, it is not good. It's not, okay, it's not the best for you and I, for us to be alone. There might be seasons where you need to go take a vacation and recharge, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that you and I choose to live our lives, that if we choose to live in independence and isolation, God says, it is not good. That word good is used throughout the Bible, and it can be translated, uh, it's not desirable. It's not what's best for you. 
It's not what's preferred for you to live out this way. Because if you've ever experienced anything good and joyful and amazing, you know that those things are best when they're shared. That the best things in life, the best moments in life, and the best events in life always happen with other people. And if they didn't happen with other people, if you went to a restaurant with just your spouse and you had the most amazing meal and you celebrated it with them, you know what you're doing later? You're telling somebody else about how good that meal was. Maybe you go see a movie or you hear a new song or a new band or you see a new piece of art and it's good. And so because it's good, you want to go talk about it because joy is most full when it's shared with other people. God says it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. It's not what's best for you or I, for us to be isolated and alone. But God has a solution. Verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. It's not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, a couple of things, just as an aside, before we kind of get into uh, the meat of this. When he says that I'm going to make a helper suitable for him, and then he goes on and he creates Eve, and, and there's this whole like wedding thing, and it's like uh, the, the main thrust of this is often used talking about marriage, which is all well and good, and you should definitely use it that way. I'm not going to talk about marriage today. That's not where we're headed. Okay. We're going to talk about all of this in the sense of just general relationships because it all still applies and it's something that you and I need so much more. You'll get married hopefully once in your life and, and 1 Corinthians 7 makes it clear that even if you choose to not get married, that doesn't make you any lesser. In fact, Paul says twice there that it's better to not be married. So if he says that, then this can't just be that it's not good for man to not be married. It means it's not good for us to be outside of relationships. Second thing, he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in verse 20, it switches it suitable helper. That phrase is often actually used, more, much more often used, talking about God than about any other person. So this is not a like, Adam is so good and I'm going to make some subservient person to come help him out. God's saying, I'm going to give you, Adam, somebody that is so good. Somebody that is better than you could ever have imagined. In Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, maybe you know it, where, where the writer cries out, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Same word, my help Verse 2 comes from the Lord, from the King of heaven. This suitable helper is not just like somebody that kind of tags along and occasionally helps. This is God saying that in all of your greatness, in the best moments of your life, in all of your strengths, you still need help around you. Now there's two sides to this. We're going to see that here in a second. Moses kind of goes on a little detour here. Says God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And then verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. It's this weird aside that Moses puts in and says, Adam is lonely. 
He needs other humans around him. So God brought him some animals to help. But none of them were good enough. And what's crazy to me in this moment is, is two things that I want to point out. Is that one, that God is with Adam this entire time. Okay? God and Adam, we don't know how long this process has been in, in creation and everything, but Adam and God have been walking in the Garden of Eden daily. Like there are no humans who have had this level of closeness with God. After sin comes in, people like Enoch or Moses or Elijah have an amazingly close relationship with God, but even them don't get to daily walk with God through the garden and see all the goodness that God has. But Adam does. And God says, even that's not enough for you, Adam. That you need to have a deep relationship with God, but you still need a suitable helper. Uh, sometimes when you're in a problem or a difficult situation and you cry out to God and God recognizes that, sometimes he is slow to move. Sometimes he is a lot more patient than you or I would like him to be. That's the spot that Adam is in in this moment. God's already recognized that Adam needs more and he says, all right, but first, I've got something for you to do, Adam. I want you to name each of these creatures. And this isn't like a, like a super quick, get it done. Like it's not the paintings of the ark that you've seen where all the animals are cute two by two, just like in a perfect line. I mean, maybe it could have been, but it's not really how I see animals usually acting. I'm sure this was a journey for Adam to accomplish naming all of the, I mean, just the creativity to figure out different names is going to take a little bit. And so he goes through this whole process, and maybe you're in a season of waiting, a season of what feels like slowness from God. That doesn't mean that God's not far from you. Often what that means is that God is preparing within you, right? For Adam, Adam's realizing these are not the things that will define me or help me grow. Throughout this process, he's saying, none, <clears throat> excuse me, none of these things will complete me. In our seasons of waiting on the Lord, he's still at work, and there are still things for him to teach us. Verse 20 ends by saying, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Nobody, no animals were found that could get Adam through what he needs. We're not going to read the next couple of verses, but you might know the story. God has Adam fall asleep. He creates Eve out of his rib or side area. And then there's this like wedding ceremony and they're brought together. God solves the problem. And he provides a suitable helper for Adam. But before we move on, we've got to kind of cover what that looks like to be a suitable helper. Because you, you probably have seen this in your own life. You can have plenty of friends, plenty of people around you, but still be alone. Just because your name is known, or just because you have a lot of contacts in your phone... Or just because you have plenty of Instagram followers or friends on Facebook doesn't mean that you are known by other people. Doesn't mean that you are together with other people. Doesn't mean that you have suitable helpers in your life. So what does that look like? If you go with me to Proverbs chapter 13. 
I hope you've been uh, journaling with us through Proverbs. We're halfway through. Uh, tomorrow, today is August 14th, so we're doing a proverb a day in August. And there's like videos from Jamie coming out on social media and on our church app, so hopefully you're watching those. But uh, today, August 14th, we read Proverbs chapter 14. That means tomorrow, August 15th, we read... Did I hear an 18 out there? Proverbs 15, at one proverb a day. You need a journal, we've got journals in the Welcome Center that you can take and use to journal through these chapters because God will show up and give us great wisdom. So hopefully yesterday you read the verse I'm going to read you, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Hopefully you saw this yesterday, where the writer says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. What does it mean to have a suitable helper? It means that you have the right kind of people in your life. That I'm not just independent, isolated, trying to do life by myself, and that I'm not just getting around a bunch of fools that are going to support me and cheer me on in stupidity instead of those who will challenge me and spur me on, as Hebrews says, towards good deeds and loving one another. That the people in my life, the friends that are around me, will determine the quality and direction of my life. That those I choose to be around will have a major impact on who I become in two years, in five years, on how I act, the way I talk, the way I, every single thing, the people that I choose to be around. Walk with the wise and you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So we've got to not only look at ourselves and say, am I isolating? Am I hiding away? Am I doing my own thing? But then when I am around others, who are they? Are they those that will help me get closer to God? That when I'm in crisis in my marriage and I pick up the phone and I call them, that they're willing to say, hey, yeah, that sounds pretty difficult. You were kind of a jerk. That hurt. I was calling to complain. Like, no, oh, that's fine, but you are the one who caused the problem and the hurt. Like, hopefully, it's those kind of friends. You walk with the wise and you become wise. If it's, you're in a difficult spot in your marriage or with your kids and you call a friend and complain and they're like, yeah, let's go hit up the bar and let's go, let's go drink this away. Let's go forget about it. What you need is some space and a distraction. Come on with me. Let's go. A companion of fools suffers harm. The people that we are around will greatly influence who we are becoming. Growing up, I, I had like a very consistent friend group from the time that I, we moved to Kentucky uh, up until eighth grade. I hung out day in, day out. It was a small school, so we are all in the same classes together always. And I was in like the, uh, the, like the class clown, joking all the time, cutting up, screwing around, having fun kind of group. Dorky, quoting movie th funny lines back at each other and stuff throughout all of our classes and everything. It was a lot of fun. We laughed a lot. But it wasn't the popular group. And something in eighth grade changed inside of me, and I said, I want to be part of that group. Not my group that I'm cool with and friends with. And listen, you can probably tell um, that's the group I really should be in. That's the group I fit in with. Uh, 
That's okay. But I I decided through a series of really weird circumstances involving a substitute teacher and a hacky sack that I was going to force my way into the popular crowd. And I did it. Dang it. I made it in. I got in with the popular kids. The problem is to stay in that group, my personality had to change. Who I was had to be different. I couldn't be that same dorky, quirky, witty kind of kid. I had to turn my wit into something that would cause pain to other people. Because if you want to be in the popular crowd, unfortunately that often equals you also have to be a jerk. And so I learned some behaviors and ways of thinking and ways of living that now looking back on, I'm like, man, that was not a good choice. But it's the people that I chose to be around that changed everything and how I acted. If you hear me tell my story, my testimony, how, how I like, came to faith, you'll often hear me say it this way. That I grew up in church and school, Christian school, like I was always around Jesus. From the time I was born, uh, I, I've I'm honestly not had really major seasons away from Jesus' knowledge. But just because I knew everything didn't mean that it took root in my heart. And if you knew me during high school and you had a conversation with me uh, before I found Jesus, you would walk away from that conversation saying, man, that kid is a jerk and he is so arrogant. And now, like, that only happens like half the time that you're in a conversation with me. So (laughs) progress, progress. We're getting there. It's a, it's a slow going thing. We're getting there. And, and that happened. The, the reason that I was like that was because of the people that I had decided to be around. Now, what changed was eventually we moved down here and we bounced around to a bunch of churches and eventually our parents drug us to this church. Sat right back where you are, Hector. Sat right in those seats. My brother and I, with our hats on, our heads down, drawing in the program the entire time. After service, Jamie and Kim tried to come say hey to us, and we didn't even look up. Could not care less. What are you doing over here? Go away. This is just stop number 18 in this tour of parents drag kids to church week. Maybe some of you. I don't know. I'm just saying. I've been there. I've been in those seats. I've felt those moments. And they kept dragging us back and dragging us back. And I don't know what happened, but six months in, they must have paid me to go to a small group and said, all right, Jason, you and your brother are going to go here tonight. Probably like, no, not as, I'm sure it was a fight because see previous comment about me being a jerk. Um, But somehow they got me to go to a small group. And uh, it was a high school group in your sister's house. uh, and, And after like, all the discussion and stuff, we split up, the girls went in in the living room, and the guys, as always, get kicked out, and like, go fend for yourselves, so we ended up in the kitchen, hanging out and talking, and it was the weirdest conversation that I had been in in years, and at the same time, something broke in me, and I remembered being in all those kinds of weird conversations when I was in middle school, and how happy I had been. 
and how much joy I had had at not trying to play a role, at not trying to look good for other people, at not trying to put out a presentation of who I wanted to be. And I realized for the first time with Christians, although I'd grown up with Christians and been in church my whole life, I realized for the first time with Christians that night I could actually be friends with these people. And if you want to figure out what changed, how did, how did I move from where I was in high school to now being up here and, you know, all the different pieces of my life that have changed, it's this verse, that I got around a different kind of people. I started walking with wise people, good people, Amen. people who loved God. Fill in any of those. Walk with good people and you'll become good. Walk with people who love God and you will begin to love God that the people that you are around will determine more than almost anything in your life who you will become, what your future will look like. We're not created to be alone, and at the same time, we can't choose to just live with fools. I did that for a season, and I look back on it with a lot of regret. I suffered plenty of harm from that season, and I'm so thankful to even to many of you who are the wise that I have walked with that have helped me grow up in faith and point my life in the right direction. It really matters who you're around. And maybe even this morning, just as we worshiped at the close of first service, just felt kind of the Holy Spirit whispering and speaking in that maybe he's been highlighting even for you in these moments some people that you might need to hit pause on the relationship you might need to set some boundaries and say, hey, like, listen, I love you, I care about you, but I can't go to the bar and drink with you. That's not good for me. It's not the direction I want my life to go in. I, I'm not pulling out of this relationship. Let's go sit at Starbucks and hang out and talk. And I, I want to be with you, but I can't be in some of these situations or circumstances. Sometimes you've got to make some hard calls. Because if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. So we have to make choices about who we're with. One last thing before we close, because there's a thing that starts to happen in our lives, especially in America and especially in American church, that the enemy will start to do as you start to take some steps in this. You say, all right, I'm not going to isolate myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be around people because I believe what that verse in Genesis 2 said, that it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to find suitable helpers to walk with and live with and be with. And then the enemy starts coming in and saying, okay. If you're going to do that, I'm going to find a new way to, to isolate you. So back in Genesis 2, God creates Eve, unites Adam and Eve, and they are together. There's this really weird poem where Adam sees Eve being walked down the aisle by God, and he says, Ah, oh, you are so beautiful. You are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And I know that's what all you ladies want in the vows at your wedding, and Adam is the one who wrote those. And then verse 25 happens. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Now, Mary is leading our middle schoolers back in the gap right now, and I really wish I could hang out in there and see how she's covering this verse with them. Because <laughs> I told her, like, Mary, you've got to play into this, because there is nothing more fun than making middle schoolers feel super awkward. 
So hopefully they're doing that. I don't know, maybe she just went to James chapter 5 and is just doing that side. But hopefully that's what's happening. And listen, listen, I know, I know, because he tells me that Jamie and Kim have spies. Probably you. Definitely you. In this room that like report back on like how to, it's not just about me, like if, Pat, if Charles preaches or any, like how to go, what, what happened. Okay, so, and some of y'all have been doing that for like 15 years, and maybe, you know, we've become friends, you might feel a little guilty. So, if that's the case, I'm going to have you report back in a specific way, just to have some fun here, okay? Because here's what I'm going to tell you this verse says, right? Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And what that means is that if we're going to be really committed Christians following after Jesus, that means it is okay to be naked around each other and feel no shame. <laughs> That's what you report back that I preached. <laughs> what I actually want to get at is this. It has nothing to do with physical clothing. It's that it is okay to be around each other and be fully ourselves not hiding anything. Because what happens in Genesis 3 is Adam and Eve go get into sin, and then they realize in that moment that they're naked. And Adam tells God, I realized I was naked and I became afraid. I became afraid and so I covered myself. I hid myself. And in America, we have this independence thing that we hold up. And in the church, we have this holiness thing that we hold up. And so what happens is there becomes this pressure that you and I feel. That if I can't independently get holy and stop my sin, then there's something wrong with me. And then Satan steps in, and although you have good people around you, he isolates you again by saying, I could not be honest they would know and they would get away from me. So I'm going to hide in shame and just pretend that everything looks good. The amount of isolation and hiddenness and shame that crops up in a church is so, so deadly. And it's so bad. We can't live that way. Let's close in James chapter 5 just real quick. James chapter 5, verse 15. James says this, he's talking about getting prayer when you're sick, and uh, verse 15, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, he says, therefore, because of this forgiveness, because of this hope that you have, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you could have forgiveness, because of that, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not so that you can be shamed. It's not confess your sins so that somebody else can talk about you behind your back. And to be sure, that's like the main rule. There's two rules in our small groups, two major rules in our small groups. And now we're going to be in a small group leader's lunch after this. Hey, if you want to lead a small group or just love people and want lunch, come hang out. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll put you to work. Talk about how you can bless some people. There's two rules that we have for our small group leaders. One, you got to end on time. So that way people can go home. Two, what is said in group stays in group so that this shame thing doesn't happen 
Because in our small groups, in these relationships that we build, we go after this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Be honest. Don't hide. Talk about your failures. We call this being ugly in our church, right? That there's a power of being ugly, that I'm going to be honest and real about my flaws and failures and hurts and hang-ups so that God can be at work within me. Because if I keep up a mask, then I'm stopping God from working in my life. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. It's not just we're going to talk about stuff and gossip about it. We're going to pray for each other so that you may be healed. Even this morning, when we close in just a second, we'll have team prayer team here up at the cross that would love to pray for you. And you have an opportunity in that moment. Those sins that you've been struggling with, those addictions that have been creeping up in your life again, those attitudes and ways of handling situations that you don't like, but you keep coming back to, those things that we would come and confess and talk and get prayer so that you may be healed, so that you can find healing and hope and walk into all that God wants you to walk into. Because what's going to determine the next five years in your life more than the elections, more than inflation, more than wars, is the people that you choose to be around. It is not good for man to be alone. You and I need a suitable helper or suitable helpers in our lives to help us walk right because if we walk with the wise, we'll become wise. And then we can't hide away our issues out of shame. My prayer would be that in our groups, our small groups, there would be no shame, right? It's this really weird thing in Christianity where we feel like we've got to be holy, and if we're not doing it, then we've got to hide it. But the way that you break through, the way that you get that healing is by honesty, is by confessing your sins, by taking your mask off, by being ugly and saying, hey, I need your help. I need you to pray for me so that you may be healed. And the end of that verse, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is how God works in our lives. Through other people praying and walking with us. And if you need that in your life, you've got to get into a group. You've got to get with other people who are going to point you to Jesus and walk with you and encourage you and help you grow so that you can also become wise. Will be the best decision you'll make this year. Say, I'm going to get with the right kind of people because it will impact far out into your future. Let me pray over you, and while we do that, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to close with a worship song, but I want to pray for you really quick. So, Father, just thank you that we're in a spot here in this church that we can be honest about who we are and what is going on in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray for each in this room that you would just highlight 
relationships, people in their lives that they can trust. Good people who are suitable helpers, that are wise, that they can come to and talk to. And Lord, that you'd establish new relationships for those that don't have that. And Lord, that you would bring to an end relationships with fools that are causing problems. Lord, I know the heart is always that I'm going to help them come to know Jesus, but I pray for wisdom in those situations, Lord, that, that we wouldn't be drugged down at the same time. Father, let your healing and kingdom come through healthy, good relationships that change the course of our lives. Father, set a new course today and throughout these weeks. Lord, pray that you'd bless our small groups as they launch next week. Let them be a hope of change and new life. Lord, we worship you together because you are so good. You are the goodness that our life gets to experience. So I just pray for more of that throughout this time. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.